Thank you for downloading and listening to the Briam Bible Church Sunday Morning Podcast. Briam Bible Church is located in Shoreline, Washington, morning worship at 11, and many more events throughout the week. For more information, please visit our website at www.bereanshoreline.org. Uh, we learn a lot about questions. Uh, for instance, uh, Pastor Jim, without me even thinking about the, the statistic he just shared, uh, came to me and said, Kevin, how would you like to preach the Sunday after Easter? <laughs> sure, I said. I didn't even think about that. That's kind of sneaky. Uh, <laughs> but questions come in many different flavors. Uh, there are closed questions. For instance, did you wake up this morning? Some of you have, yes. <laughs> Some of you did wake up. Good. There are open questions, such as, if you had a million dollars and only one day to live, how would you spend the money? See, open questions are designed for a longer response and can involve some creativity or some more thoughtfulness. Okay? There are recall and process questions. They require you to uh, remember something or uh, organize your thoughts, put them together. And so, how would you construct the perfect cheeseburger? I have my opinions. I can tell you the whole process. Mm. Then there's leading questions, questions that are designed to take the respondent in a certain direction. Uh, do you think it would be a good idea to pray about that? <laughs> With the obvious answer that yes, it would be a very good idea to pray about that. And then there are rhetorical questions. Do you know what a rhetorical question is? That's right. <laughs> Six years of queuing them up for that. <laughs> rhetorical questions, by definition, are often humorous and don't require an answer. The answer is already kind of assumed. For instance, this morning, Keith Kemper said to me, do you have a belt? <laughs> For those of you who, who don't understand that question, it's because whenever Keith preaches, I seem to be the guy loaning him a belt so he can hang the microphone uh, clip on here. So uh, another rhetorical question would be, Keith, are you wearing a belt? No, he's probably not wearing a belt. You are wearing a belt. Well, there we are. There we are. Uh, for parents, it might be, have you cleaned your room today? Uh, no, of course you haven't cleaned your room, and it would possibly be a good idea. Now, biblically, we know that Jesus taught, often taught in parables, but he also taught in questions. He would, he would share questions, such as, Matthew 9, 28, do you believe I am able to do this? Um, also in Matthew, why did you doubt? Why are you thinking these things? Why do you call me good? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk? What is written in the law? How do you read it? Who of you, can, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? 
we're going to look at a question today. But before we do, I want to ask you another question. If you could ask Jesus one question, knowing with all certainty that you would receive an immediate answer, what would you ask him? Now, you have permission to roll that around the entire time that I'm sharing from God's Word. I want you to think about that. If you were to ask Jesus one question, being completely certain you'd receive an immediate response, what would that question be? So this morning, as Pastor Jim said, we're going to be looking at Luke 24. I'd like you to go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 24. We're going to be looking at events that lead up to Pentecost, and right now we're going to be with the disciples who are on the road to Emmaus. So as we go to God's Word, I'd ask that you would pray with me, please. Father God, we are thankful for this beautiful day that you've given us, for the sunshine, for the skies, the blue skies, for the rain that came yesterday that, that is just a cycle of, of your provision. We thank you that you give. We thank you that you take away. We thank you that you are the sustainer of all life and the giver of freedom through your Son, Jesus Christ. Help us to remember and love and be, and be loved by others and by ourselves as we love you, as we've been reminded from your scripture already this morning. We love because you first loved us. Thank you for blessing us with your word and, and help it to illuminate our lives now. And I pray this in your son's name. Amen. Well, before we uh, look at some, of, of some questions, in which, by the way, I'd suggest that our, our walk with Jesus does require us to ask some really good questions and answer questions. Our walk with Jesus requires asking and answering real questions. So we're going to look at five different questions today. As we're in Luke here, we're, let's, uh, let's pick up at verse 13. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were, walking, they were talking with each other about everything that had happened. And as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. But they were kept from recognizing him. Now, we don't really know exactly where this small town of Emmaus was. There's four pretty popular views. They're in different distances from Jerusalem. Scripture says it was about a seven-mile journey. We're not sure if the seven-mile journey was a seven-mile round trip. That's why some of the uh, uh, difficulty in some of the different locations and possibilities that it could be. We know that... This is still Resurrection Sunday, so if we could travel back to last Sunday and Pastor Jim sharing from Scripture of Jesus' resurrection, this is a little bit later, closer to the afternoon hours. So Jesus has risen. Peter and John have seen him. Mary has seen him. The disciples have gone into hiding. And we know only of the identity of these two disciples One of them is Cleopas, and that's all we know. He doesn't appear anywhere else in Scripture. We we don't really know, but it was noteworthy at the time that his name be mentioned. And there's two of them, 
And there's some noteworthiness that there's there in the Jewish custom of, of having a witness. So in the day, people could go to Cleopas and, and ask him, is this true? Did this happen? Okay? So the first question that we're going to look at here is, what are you talking about as you walk along the road? So, picking up at verse 17. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, are you only a visitor to Jerusalem and do not know these things that have happened there in these days? What things, Jesus, he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a great prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said. But him... They did not see. So Jesus asks them, what are you discussing as you walk along the road? And the answer of what they're discussing is the situation of the time. They're discussing the events of Jerusalem. They're discussing the crucifixion. They're probably discussing, because they're downcast, they may be discussing some of their disappointment, confusion, upset. They are, they are locked into the situation that they are in. But since these questions are questions we need to answer too, I want to turn it and I want to ask you, what are you discussing as you walk along the road? Do you discuss Facebook What are your Facebook discussions? Do you discuss television? Gossip? Slander? See, Jesus is asking these disciples, what are you talking about as you walk along the road? Hold your finger here in Luke and go back with me to Deuteronomy 6. When I first read the passage in Luke, my first immediate thought was really Deuteronomy 6. It just kind of jumped out at me. I haven't seen anybody else comment on this, in, you know, make any mention in a commentary, but it really struck me. In Deuteronomy 6, God says these commandments, verse 6, these commandments that I give you today are to be pressed upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road. When you lie down and when you get up, tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. I, it, it just really jumped out at me because these Jewish believers would understand Deuteronomy 6. And Jesus comes along beside them and says, what are you talking about as you walk along the road? And they're talking about the situations. And as we'll see a little bit later, I'd like to suggest they weren't necessarily talking about Scripture. Okay? So, 
What captures the bulk of your attention? Is it Facebook, television? Could it be gossip and slander? And what are your word choices? How do you speak? What words do you use? Uh, I asked, <laughs> well, before, before Cliff puts that up, this morning uh, I had a little, little lesson of, in this in uh, Sunday school with the senior high. I would say, okay, so, which is cheese in Spanish, and I just, you know, queso, right? And, and as I continued to talk, I realized I was saying, okay, so, okay, so, and they'd go, it's cheese in Spanish. And I told them I was going to beat them to it here because they said, you say okay, so, a lot. I said, I do? I didn't think about that. What are the choices of words that you use? What do you use a lot? Um, first slide that I asked Cliff to put up. Hey, have you seen these things before where, they, where they, they take someone's speech and they blow up the words that are the biggest are the words that are used the most in the speech and the words that are the smallest are used, still are used frequently but not as frequent? This is... This is, one, I don't know what they're called, but this is one of them from Abraham Lincoln's first inaugural address. So what do you see? Constitution, government, union, states, people, now, and one right and law. Those would be, to me, the ones that really stand out. Okay? These are the words that Abraham Lincoln felt important enough to share with the American people. Then, the great civil war and his second inaugural. War, God. I love, I love that he turned to God. Do you have what my wife calls Jesus speak? There was a gentleman in our church back in Michigan, Ed McCarthy. Do you remember Ed? Anytime I would speak with that man, he, re, he was sort of, to me, like how I hear Pastor Jim talk about Wilson Fossey. Okay? He, he just always had something good to say to me, was always encouraging. I was doing my internship at Berean Bible Church in, in uh, what's that town again? Grand Rapids. <laughs> that later was Rush Creek Bible Church in Byron Center. And, and Ed McCarthy was just always so encouraging. He was just always uh, supporting me, always giving me a pat on the back. How are you today, young man? It's a fine, I can't do his voice. He's got, he had a rich voice. It's a fine, fine, beautiful day today, isn't it, young man? The Lord has been good to us, hasn't he, young man? I just like the young man part, actually. But the, <laughs> and one day, I was, uh, during, I, was dry, I had this 1974 Chevy Cheyenne pickup truck with 64,000 original miles. Yeah, farm miles. That thing was so beat up. I would turn a corner and the leaf, I did actually, turn the corner and the leaf springs fell out the back. I was like, picked them up and, you know, put them back in the car. Well, I had come to a red light and, and the car stopped, just stalled, just, and I couldn't get it started. And I got out of the car and I confess, I was very late and very displeased and, and I was close to saying some not so choice words. 
And I got out of the car, and I opened the hood, and I'm looking at it, and I don't know what to do. And I turn around, and i not kidding. Ed McCarthy is standing right there. <laughs> I, mean, like, I turn around, I go, ha! And he goes, hello, young man. Can I be of some assistance? And I'm like, where did you come from? I'm in a red light in the country, in an intersection. He was in the little country store right there. He saw, saw you had some trouble, and I thought I'd come out. But he reminded me right then, there's an attitude, there's, there's words, there's everything he said was consistent when I saw him with Jesus speak. And it was a right, real good reminder to me, the words that we need to choose. What words do we put into ourselves? Um, Rachel Ettinger, this uh, newsflash just in, got this uh, late last night from her mom, Sue. We just got word. Rachel will indeed get the trophy for the top all-star quizzer for the Pacific Nor Northwest Regional Bible Quizzing Competition. She averaged about 104 points per quiz with the next best quizzer averaging 88. Other quizzers have won this honor twice, but none, to my knowledge, have won it two years in a row. Rachel's choosing to put Jesus speak into her mind. What are we choosing to put in? What are you talking about as you walk along the road? Um... So it says in Scripture here that the, as they went through their disappointment, they went through the situation of the crucifixion, that Jesus had a response. Verse 25, how foolish you are and how slow of heart to believe all the prophets have spoken. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the Scriptures concerning himself. Jesus took them back to the word. Uh, there is something that theologians call the scarlet thread that Jesus showed them beginning with Moses and the prophets and it's implied that everything in between, all of the poetry and the wisdom literature, that that he is the central character, that he appears everywhere, and theologians call it the scarlet thread that runs through the fabric of Scripture. And because I'm a youth pastor, I was thinking, what great illustration can I you know, bring out and give to people? I was going to bring out a ball of yarn such as this, and I was going to hand one end, and I was going to have you pass it. And then I realized how big that ball of yarn had to be. Because really, what Jesus is asking is how much of this thread stitches through your life? And for some of us, we might get to a place where we would, we would see and it would go to the next person and maybe a lot more. Because we're all part of this tapestry that God has woven together and he is the central thread. He wants to weave himself through our lives and it's scripture that he's opening to us so that we can know him. So what do you talk about as you go along, walk along the road? Are your situations in life so overwhelming like these disciples? 
that you focus on them rather than on the Lord. And that leads us really to the next question. When have you failed to see Jesus moving in your life? Uh, if we're all honest with ourselves, we've fallen into that trap where we haven't seen God moving in our lives. Let's look at verse 16. End of 15, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. Um, a literal translation of that verse would be, their eyes were held, made weakened, lost power to be able to come to a perceptual knowledge. And what I find interesting is, see, I like answers to questions, and, and I looked at the original text, and I looked at some some helps that help you to understand all of the verbiage and how it's used. And there's, there's discrepancy between the scholars as to whether this verb is a middle or a passive. So what, you might be asking. It's a big deal to me because a middle verb means the disciples did it. A passive verb means it was done to them. They were unable to see. This discusses, this, this displays what your theological take would be. Because if it was done to them, who did it? Did God blind them? Did Satan blind them? If it's a, if it's a middle, they did it. What was it that they could have done to have blinded themselves to recognizing Jesus? And and where I land on this answer is, I don't know. It's another one I'm going to have to ask the Lord when I get up there. What happened with these guys? Did, did you blind them? Did the enemy blind them? Or were they blinded by their own dismay? Were they blinded by the situation at hand? Were they blinded by their own fear? Were they blinded by their panic? It has a way of doing that, doesn't it? When we're in a situation where... How did you say it? I'd rather have Jesus. If you don't know until you've lost everything. I don't want to be in one of those situations. But what a blessing it could be to be in one of those situations. To know that I need him more than anything. Anything. God, however, was the one who made himself visible. It was God who moved to open their eyes. It was God who showed himself to the disciples. Let's go to uh, verse 28. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus acted as if he was going further. But they urged him strongly, Stay with us, for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So they went in to stay with so he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, Were were not our hearts burning with within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? Oh yeah. That had to have been Jesus. 
the way he opened the scriptures to us and made our hearts burn. Um, when's the last time your heart burned when you read scripture? That's a good question for me and us. But it was God who opened their eyes. I think it's kind of interesting here. Just This doesn't necessarily play into any of my points, but I, I just want to share this. I thought it was kind of cool. It was very customary to be invited to someone's home and the host of the dinner would would honor you as their guest, would serve you, would make sure all your needs were met, would, would run the show. Jesus comes in, takes over. The host's job was to bless and provide and break and hand out the food. Jesus comes in and says, I am the Lord of the host. and I am the Lord of this meal. And he broke bread. There, is, there are a few commentaries speak of this sort of looking like mimicking the Last Supper. And maybe that's why those disciples had their eyes opened. I thought that was kind of neat. I just had to share it. Question three. Which direction are you moving as you walk your spiritual path? So, just as the disciples left Jerusalem and were going to Emmaus, we either walk to Jesus or away from him. It doesn't count to stand on the path. We need to be moving one way, hopefully, or the other, as sometimes is the case. Which way are you moving? Are you moving closer to him? Because what I love here about this passage, is their eyes, they eat, they, uh, pardon me, thir verse 32, they asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? In verse 33, they got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. Bam! They didn't wait. They got up and moved. They did an absolute about face. When the Lord was revealed to them, they returned at once. The about face of repentance. Which way are you moving? It's easy to say, and it would have been easy for these guys to say, I can wait till tomorrow. I can wait till tomorrow. The Lord has revealed himself to, himself to us. It's nighttime. Nighttime is not the time of travel. We're supposed to be in. This can wait till the morning. They moved immediately. For us to have a spiritual truth, to have Jesus reveal a change that needs to happen in us, it's easy to say, that's something I can work on tomorrow. I can wait. We'll take care of it then. No, we take care of it now. So, uh, it's 12.02, and I said five questions, so... Uh, we're at question three, so, all right, well, that last question really does lead us to the, to the last two, and so I'll conclude us with this by going over the questions one more time. Question one, what are you talking about as you walk along the road? How much of your discussion is about spiritual things? Who do you walk with? 
Who do you choose to walk with? Has this situation changed? Why? What do you talk about the most? What are the words that you choose? Who is the most spiritually influential person in your life? Why? Question two. When have you failed to see Jesus moving in your life? The disciples on the road to Emmaus were so caught up in their situation, they failed to see him. What situation are you in right now that distracts you away from him? And you do know, as the Emmaus disciples discovered, he was right there all along. No matter what you're going through, he is right there all along. Question three, what direction are you moving as you walk your spiritual path? Are you walking toward Jesus or are you walking away from him? What evidence would you give to prove your answer? Jesus asked tough questions. These are tough questions. I don't like these questions. They make me have to look at myself and see how badly I need Jesus. So here are your bonus questions. Four and five. I already asked you one of them. If you could ask Jesus one question, being completely certain that you would receive an immediate response, what would that question be? I hope you've had a chance to think about that. I hope you actually write it down. I hope you go to prayer with that question. But question five. If Jesus was to ask you one question right now and demand a response, what would it be? What would be the question and what would be your response? The Lord asks questions that demand answers and our spiritual walk is questions that, de that demand answers and answers that sometimes lead to other questions. In a moment, I'm going to ask them to come up and close us in worship. But I just ask you to join me in prayer. Father God, we are thankful for your word. We're thankful for your son. We are thankful for the questions that you lay upon our heart, questions that are designed to help us to know you more deeply, to, to love you more fully, questions that are designed to probe our hearts. Help us, Father, to, to lean more and more and more on you with every passing day. May the end of our lives look less like a sprint and more like a limp because we're leaning so heavily upon you that it's the only way we can cross the finish line. Father, we thank you for all you bless us with and we praise you in your son's name. Amen. In closing, I can think of no more appropriate way to, to bless this day than to read from Scripture. From Colossians chapter 4, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful, and pray for us too that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. 
Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way that you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Thank you for being here with us this morning. You are dismissed.